A few weeks ago, I had a phone call. I was actually in Colorado at the time visiting my in-laws, and it was my cousin Daryl. Many of you know Daryl. He's been here. Uh, he's ministered. He was a missionary with the assemblies for a lot of years, and he said, Jerry, I'm going to be in your area. I'm going to come see you. So he was here for about three days, and we had such a wonderful time with Daryl and Sherry. And during the course of that weekend, uh, they shared with us they had been to Kentucky and visited the Ark Encounter. If you've heard of the Ark Encounter, where uh, a replica of Noah's Ark has been rebuilt. And I got thinking about that, and I've got thinking about the scripture in Matthew that talks about the last days. And there's a lot of us wondering, are we living in the last days? I mean, some crazy things are happening. And Jesus said, in those last days, don't lose your head. Don't go, you know, fearful or, or isolated or don't let it bother you. But then he refers to Noah to be kind of like Noah during his last days. I got thinking about that. So today I want us to visit in the Old Testament one of the best known stories in the Bible, the story of Noah. Now Noah lived about, uh, about 2,300 years before Jesus was born. That's hard to wrap our mind around, but this is about 2,300 B.C. And uh, most of us know that Noah built an ark a big, big ark, and he filled it with animals, two by two. And he and his family and the animals then entered the ark, and they survived this great global flood, a flood that destroyed the entire earth. Now, if you want to read the whole story, it's in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. We don't have time to, to read all three chapters, but you can read that uh, this week if you would like. The question that comes to my mind is, why did God destroy the entire earth? Why did he destroy his creation? Why did God destroy what he created? Well, simply put, it was because the terrible moral conditions of the world. And the Bible talks about that. The terrible moral conditions of the world, the corruption, the immorality, much as like we're experiencing today. Let's look at a couple portions of Scripture. First in Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse number 5. The Lord saw the great wickedness of the human race. <laughs> there is still a great wickedness in our race today. And the very inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I've created. And with them, the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I even made them. Verse number 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of 2020, in the midst of the... Uh, the immorality, the corruption, the racial uh, injustice, in the, all the stuff we're experiencing, this pandemic, the thing that is important for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, are we walking in the favor of God? There are many, many things that we have no control over. We can pray, we can vote, we can do certain things, but friends, you're only responsible for how you are responding right now in a day that is very much like the day of Noah. 
Now look at Genesis chapter 8, if you have your Bible. Genesis chapter 8, beginning with verse number 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is after the flood. This is after everything was destroyed. The first thing Noah did, he built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And he gave us a sign. And that's the rainbow. And when you look at that rainbow, you can be assured that God is not going to get so upset that he's going to wipe off human race from the planet again because he's promised not to do it. Verse 22 says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. There's no way we can really imagine what a mess the world was in during Noah's day. Well, we think the world's in a mess today. But friends, during Noah's day, it was so bad, God decided just to destroy everything. The crater looked down and said, man, this is totally beyond repair. It's time for me to do a factory reset. And he rebooted. The world had become violent and wicked, and Noah alone stood as the person that the Bible says was blameless among the people of his time. Oh, friends, let's stand blameless before God. Let us walk in holiness. Let us walk in hope and assurance. Now, in other words, he was blameless, but he wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. It doesn't say Noah was sinless. We know some of his sins are recorded in the Bible, and they were bad sins. But he was a man of integrity. In a world devoid of integrity. Friends, that defines our world today. From politics to the riots in the street, there is no integrity. There's no credibility. We live in a very similar world as Noah. Corruption, immorality, lawlessness. What can we do? Jesus said we need to examine the life of Noah and we need to impersonate him. First of all, I just want to encourage you again, don't fear. It breaks my heart. There are so many Christians who are so fearful right now. Man, this should be a time that we are confident in the goodness of God, confident in the hope that he's coming back to take us. Now, as citizens, we need to do what we're able to do to change the system. I encourage you to vote. Man, if you are not registered to vote, you need to vote. Man, I have said it for 35 years. It is not just a right for you and I as Christians to vote. It is a responsibility. Vote for the candidates who uphold the moral values and the characteristics of Jesus. I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I'm going to say today we need to vote. We need not to get caught up in all the ruckus and the fear, all the conspiracy theories. 
My goodness, if people would spend more time in the Word of God instead of on YouTube watching some prophet, you know, spell out his theory, we would all be walking more blameless in the eyes of God. We would all be more at peace. I'll just be honest. We need to tend to our own life. It breaks my heart what's happening in Portland, what's happening in Wisconsin. But friends, I need to tend to my own life. I need to let Jesus change me. I need to focus on what I can change. I need to nurture my trust in the Lord. Noah trusted the Lord. Here's a guy who had three sons. Now think about this. God appears before him and says, you know, the world's out of control. I'm about ready to put an end to it. And there's going to be a great flood. But I'll save you and your family. And he gave Noah specific directions. And it took him decades to build this ark. In the middle of a desert. Never once even rained. Now this is a big boat, friends. It's very clear in the Bible. It's 450 feet long. That's a football field and a half. Think about a football field. And another half of a football field. It's about... Uh, 75 feet wide, which is about half the width of a football field. In fact, I want to show you some pictures today of the ark that my cousin saw at the ark encounter. This is built to specifications of what the Bible said. Now, look how big that thing is. (laughs) That's really big. Three decks or three levels high, an opening below the roof for ventilation, made with gopher wood, covered with pitch, Let's look at some of the others to give you a little perspective. I wanted you to see this because you can see the people. So you can see the perspective (laughs) of this ark that Noah really built. This is not symbolism. This is not, uh, you know, an analogy. This really happened, friends. This last picture is my cousin Daryl and his wife Sherry standing uh, in front of the door. The door where all the animals came in, the doors where all the animals went out. Genesis chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. That's what God wants us to do in the midst of our turmoil, of our pandemic, of our corrupt political system. God wants us to do everything that he commands us. Once Noah built this thing and everything was ready, he told him to get in the ark with his sons and his wives because in seven days it was going to start raining. You remember, the rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came. Well, you that have taught little kids remember that song. For 40 days around the clock, everything and everyone on planet Earth died, wiped out. Only Noah and his family. And the ark floats along for 150 days, the Bible says. Then it comes to rest in what we know as the country of Turkey on Mount Ararat. It sits there for 75 more days, and the peaks of the mountains then become visible because the floodwaters are going down. Noah waits 40 days, and he releases a dove. And the dove returns. 
So he knew that the dove didn't have any place to land. So he waited another seven days and released the dove. And the dove comes back this time with an olive twig in his branch. And so no one knows, oh, well, it's getting closer. And he waited seven more days and he releases the dove again. But the dove doesn't come back. So no one knows that, well, it's time. The waters have receded. The surface of the earth is becoming dry. But he waited. He didn't make a decision ahead of God. Notice, he waited for another two months until he heard the voice of the Lord. Friends, you and I need to be careful. Don't get ahead of God. Don't get behind God. Wait until you hear the voice of the Lord and then be obedient. That's what Noah did. God said, now's the time to leave. Now's the time. Release all the animals so they can repopulate. And as soon as Noah did that, he stepped out of the boat. First thing he did, give thanks to God. First thing he did was to build an altar. We read it. First thing he did was to prepare a burnt sacrifice. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said, boy, I'm never going to wipe out earth like this again. Let's fast forward to where we are today. We believe that Jesus speaks to us through the word. And when Jesus was on the earth, he was describing to the disciples about the end times. The days before his second coming that we celebrated as we took communion this morning. And in that, he refers back to Noah. That's why Noah is such an important person for you and I to study and to emulate during this corrupt time that we live in. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 24. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, nor none of the prophecy teachers on YouTube, or televangelists, or pastors. No one knows the day or hour. Only the Father. Verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. And that's how it will be at the time of the Son of Man. Now turn to 2 Timothy for a moment. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unruly without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous and rash and conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. That describes our world today. We should have nothing to do with it. Doesn't that really describe the days we're living in? All you have to do is look at the newspaper or 
your favorite news channel or just scroll through your Facebook feed. You'll find out. You'll see that list is currently <laughs> active in our world today. And Jesus made it pretty clear that none of us would know the hour of his coming, but I do know that the culture that we live in is one that is much, much darker than it's been for a long time. Now, some situations are getting better, and I'm always, you know, an optimist. I always look at the positive things. Glo global poverty is actually less than it was 10 years ago. World hunger has actually decreased in our world. And I say, praise God. Praise God for the, the governments, the philanthropists, for, you know, the, the non-government agencies that are helping to eliminate things like world hunger. But friends, I'll tell you, there is no evidence that people themselves are getting any better. <laughs> in fact, it feels like people are angrier than ever before. I think all of us, you know, there's just this underlying kind of simmering. We're on edge. People are more hostile than ever before. Not just in the world, but in the church. People are less forgiving, more treacherous, more sanctimonious, <laughs> which means that people like Noah are needed like never before. And I encourage you today, you who are listening, you who are here, be Noah's. Be Noah's in this world that we live in. I'm talking about people that can be a light in the dark world. Be salt. Be bearers of hope. Not of gloom and doom and fear and hatred, but be bearers of hope. We have great news. Jesus can transform people's lives, and Jesus has prepared a place for them, and Jesus has promised he'll come back. We need to be that light. None of us, I'm pretty sure, is going to be called to build an ark like that. <laughs> you know? But he's going to call us to a life of commitment, of faith, committed to God and his kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Jesus said very, very clearly, our job is to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we're here to do. And that's what Noah did. That's kind of against the culture. But the Bible says Noah found grace or Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So in the time that I have left, I want us to look at what Noah saw or what God saw. When God looked down at Noah, he found favor and grace in the eyes of the Lord. What were those values? Because those are the values, friends, that I want in my life and I encourage you to build in your life. Because I want to find favor in the eyes of God during this era that we live in. I want the values that shaped Noah's character and made him the man that he was. And I want you to pursue those. Friends, God is in charge of our lives. We're not going to figure all this out. And there's no need for us to figure it all out. It's like when I was a little kid and jumped in the back of a Ford Galaxy 500. Remember those? 
back in the 60s. Mom and dad loaded us up and we headed for Wisconsin to visit my grandma and grandpa. You know, I didn't have to worry about if we needed to stop to get gas. I didn't need to worry about what intersection we were coming to and if I should turn right or left. I didn't have to worry about where I was going to stay in the motel. I just rode in the back seat. My father and my mother were in the front seat. I was at peace. I was anchored in the trust I had of them. That's the way you and I should be right now. Too many of us are trying to grab the steering wheel and say, well, let's figure this out. Let's do this. Let's do that. No, let's trust the Lord with all of our heart. Let's trust in him. Let's anchor in Jesus. Three qualities. Number one, Noah committed himself to daily fellowship with God. Now that seems simple. But I know some of you are tempted to turn on the news before you're opening the Bible in the morning. I know you're tempted to listen to your favorite radio host tell you what you want to hear and what you agree with other than turning that off for a half hour and just praying. Because I'm tempted to do the same things. But Noah knew the importance of daily fellowship with God. The Bible says Noah was righteous. He was blameless. King James says he walked with God. I love that. He walked with God. The Living Bible paraphrases it this way. He tried always to conduct his affairs according to God's will. In other words, for Noah, living a godly life was an everyday pursuit. It was a today pursuit. Not resting on yesterday's accomplishment or hoping for a more committed life tomorrow. It was an everyday pursuit. I think we all know to some degree what it means to be Sunday-only Christians. We probably always, I mean, we probably all, all always have that struggle ourselves, that temptation. It's easy to live your faith on Sundays in this kind of environment. Not always easy to live your faith out seven days a week in the midst of a dark, dark world. And unfortunately, there are people, there are Christians who don't practice the principles or teaching of Jesus during the week. And they've compromised biblical values for wealth. Many Christians have compromised the values of Jesus to follow men, to follow politics, follow worldly causes. That's not how Noah lived his life. It's not the example he set for. His attitude was... I want God to be present in my life every day, everywhere I go. The prophet Micah said that this is what God was looking for. Pastor Jeff preached on it earlier this summer. What's the Lord looking for? What does it require of you? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. God's looking for men and women who are willing to walk with him on a daily basis. And if you're serious, friends, about following Jesus, I'm glad you're here this morning because that's an important element. But man, it's a, it's a daily thing. 
I was listening to a sermon this week, and the guy challenged me by saying, do you have a life of prayer, or do you simply have a prayer life? Sometimes we say, you know, how's your prayer life coming? Meaning that, well, we take a slice of our life, and that's our prayer life. And he was saying, that's not what the Bible says when he says you to be constantly in a state of prayer. We should be living a life of prayer, not just having a prayer life. We should escape from prayer in order to do the business we have to do in the world, not escape the world into a life of prayer. I thought, what a great perspective. We need to live a life of prayer. We need to spend time in this word, spend time in worship, I notice a difference in my attitude depending on what radio station I have on in my Honda Pilot. I'll just be honest, it affects you. I have a much, much better attitude when I'm listening to Christian music than when I'm listening to secular music. Spend time in worship. Spend time in fellowship with at least another believer every day. I'm not talking about another person that's going to agree with you concerning the Antichrist or the mark of the beast or how so-and-so said something on an interview and, you know, we think he might do this or that. No. I'm talking about spending time every day with one believer talking about the things of God, the goodness of God. And then spend time serving somebody. If you are not serving somebody every day, You haven't found that sweet spot that God wants you in because it's all part of our worship. We serve others as we serve the Lord. You give a person something to drink, it's not the person you're really serving, it's Jesus you're serving. We've talked about that before, seeing the image of Christ in every single human being. The second thing Noah did, besides a daily commitment to the Lord, is he committed himself to long-term or what we call a lifelong obedience. A lifelong obedience. Man, I've seen so many people kind of come and go, not just in their faith, but in their commitment to our church, the commitment to the vision we have to make lifelong disciples of Christ. And then I see people like, Judy Maxey or Virgil Brown, doesn't matter who's the pastor, doesn't matter what's going on in the world, they're just going to love Jesus, they're going to be committed to their church, they're just there for the long haul. That's what I'm talking about, lifelong obedience, not dependent on whether you agree or whether you, you know, appreciate the style of the day or whatever. And I want to go back to Noah for a minute. You know how long it took him to build that ark? You saw it. You can tell that was not built in a weekend. He didn't have any craftsman tools, you know. We're not sure. But we know it was decades based on the size of the project. One Bible, uh, he was an archaeologist that put this thing in a timeline. I read a little bit, article about, uh, about Noah that he had written. He said probably 75 years. 
At least 50, he said. 50 to 75 years. And that's based upon the scriptures saying what the ages of his three sons are. So, they, you know, it's fairly accurate. 50 to 75 years. Noah's Ark project wasn't done in a day. It wasn't begun on a whim. It wasn't completed in a whirlwind of emotions. It took day in and day out consistency. And you and I need that same kind of day in and day out consistency. We need lifelong obedience to God. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered the way we want them to be. Sometimes, you know, pastors and televangelists make mistakes and they sin and they fall. And sometimes our friends betray us and disappoint us. Yes, those things have somewhat of an effect on us, but they cannot move us from our commitment to a lifelong obedience to Jesus Christ. <coughs> I imagine there are many days and Noah, <coughs> excuse me, Noah got up and thought, you know, I really don't want to build today. I don't want to hear all those people mock me and make fun of me. But he built when he didn't feel like building. That's why you and I need to pray when we don't feel like praying. We need to serve when we don't feel like serving. We need to encourage people when they're laughing at us. Twice the Bible says Noah did everything commanded him to do. It's important to realize this simple phrase, Noah did all God commanded him to do. That does not summarize one weekend at a spiritual retreat. That does not summarize his effort on a Sunday morning or, in his case, on a Sabbath morning. It summarizes years and years and decades and decades of consistency. So, friends, I encourage you to be like Noah. You need a daily walk with Jesus, but you need more than that. You need lifelong obedience. Noah's obedience was long obedience, patient obedience. It was obedience driven by faith. So often our obedience comes with immediate payoff. You know, we do something and we see the results almost immediately. But friends, sometimes... Obedience is a long, extended walk of faith. That's why Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter 6, don't become weary in doing good, in being obedient, because in the proper time, you'll reap harvest if you don't give up. Sometimes we look for rain right away. God says, it will rain, not today, not tomorrow, not this year, probably not this decade, but Noah, keep building because the rain's coming. And after years and years of Noah being faithful, building a boat. Now he built this boat in a city, friends, that was 70 miles from the coast. Think about that. A boat far too large for any body of water. That's what I'm talking about, lifelong obedience. Third quality, and I'll close with this. Third quality we need to develop is committing ourselves to a God-first life of devotion. A God-first. No criticism or judgment against people who are also committed to other causes, other ideologies, 
other, you know, communities or, or social activities. Not saying that we have to limit ourselves, but I'm saying that God must come first in our devotion before our allegiance to the PTA, before our allegiance to a political party, before our allegiance to a church or denomination. Committing ourselves to God first and what he's called us to do. That's why we can rejoice with Jessica. Because her commitment and devotion to Wenatchee Valley College was not dependent upon what organization she was working with. It was dependent upon the call of God upon her life. That's why we can stand and rejoice and say, we're still in this together. We know what it means to be devoted. A devoted employee puts the job first. A devoted husband will put his wife and children first. And a devoted believer will put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's the kind of devotion God saw in Noah. It's the kind of devotion that we need to be demonstrating in our world today. That means when something good happens, you say, thank you, before you say anything else. We have so much to rejoice about. I know there's a lot of stuff in the world right now that tears our heart out, causes us to cry, causes us grief and anguish. But friends, if that's all you focus on, you're going to miss so many of the blessings that God has given us right now. For every negative thing you see, you can see four or five positive things if you'll simply look. And that only comes, though, if you commit yourself to God-first devotion. There's lots of unsettling things in the world today. People, particularly church people, are caught up in speculations and conspiracies. There are so many people who are rattled right now. It's one prayer I pray for our church every single morning is the members of our church will not be so rattled, but will trust and be at peace. Paul addresses it. Turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters. Now listen, church. Listen if you're online right now. Don't become easily unsettled or alarmed. That's a prophetic word. You want some prophecy? You want a prophetic word? I'll give it to you from the word of God. Don't become unsettled during this time we're living. Don't become alarmed. He goes on to say, whether the teaching allegedly from us or whether by a prophecy or a word of mouth or a letter. Many, many people are alarmed and unsettled because of prophecies floating around the internet today. Asserting the things of the last days. And that's not my purpose to sort all that out. I'm just going to keep my eye on Jesus. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to be like Noah. My priority has to be God and his kingdom first of all. Not all the other things screaming for my attention. And some of those things are good. Some of those things need to be addressed. 
But first and foremost, commitment to God. And that kind of God-first level of devotion that seeks His people, everything you do, you do with Jesus front and center of your life. Not the lens of being an American, not the lens of your political party, not the lens of the color of your skin. Let us see things through the lens of Jesus. Paul said it so clearly in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How does God respond to our devotion? How does he respond to our gratitude, our sacrifice? We're not going to sacrifice the way that Noah did, but we're going to sacrifice our praise. We're going to sacrifice our lives. He considers that sacrifice of praise a pleasing aroma. God will be pleased with you if he looks down in the midst of all the chaos in the world. He sees you fellowshipping with him every day. He sees you with a long obedience, and he sees you responding through the eyes of Jesus and seeking God's kingdom first. When he saw Noah, he saw an attitude that said, I want to walk with God every day, whether it rains or not, whether people agree with me or not. He saw an attitude that said, I will obey God every day in every detail of my life. Friends, let's develop that. I'm going to summarize everything for you. God first, God now, and God always. Will you say that with me? God first, God now, God always. Stand with me, say it again. God first, God now, God always. That summarizes everything the Lord has laid in my heart for you this morning. Those are the qualities evident in Noah's life. Jesus said, I'm with you always. Never will I leave nor forsake you. What made Noah different in the culture of corruption? What will make you and me different in this culture that we live in? <laughs> Say with me again, God first, God now, and God always. Heavenly Father, I've shared the best I could the message that you laid upon my heart. And Lord, now I pray that your Holy Spirit will take it, will seal it, and will apply it to each of our lives, whether we're in this auditorium, whether we're watching live, whether we're watching this video days after it's actually preached. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be like Noah. It's a corrupt time. People are evil. There's a spirit of lawlessness. There's such a fear in the world, and there's such a fear in the church. God, we just come against that spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just replace it with the spirit of peace, love, and a sound mind. I proclaim that over Wenatchee First Assembly, that our people will be at peace, will be loving, and have a sound mind. 
that when you look at us, you will see what you saw in Noah. People who are putting God first, God right now, and are committed to put God always as a center of our life. And Lord, I know in return, you'll make our life more meaningful than we can ever imagine. So help us, Lord, in our pursuit to be a light in the dark world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So much appreciate you joining us, whether it's online or whether you're here. When you leave this morning, please uh, wait until the hosts dismiss you. They'll be dismissing from the back to the front just to guard social distancing. Uh, If you'll put your communion uh, cup in the trash, there's also um, a bucket there for your offering, your tithe. Thank you. Hope you'll join us next week. Nine o'clock, we have a special guest, Matt Tolman. One of our missionaries are here for an update. Until next week, God bless you. Remember, God first. Amen. God now and God always. You are dismissed. Dismissed.